on this episode of the podcast. Wait, isn't this crazy? Welcome back, first and foremost. Isn't it wild that we can just stream to people and we can talk about the goodness of God? But on this, I, I just think that's incredible, and I wanted to take a second to say that. Like, this is cool. This is cool. That and I feel very privileged for everybody that watches and listens um just that we get to sit here together and have conversations and you guys get to just tune in from wherever you are and, and come and join us um in this glorification of god but on this episode we're going to talk about getting back to our first love in jesus how to be led by the spirit and really how um how knowledge and understanding is important in the scriptures and walking with confidence in what we know and why we believe what we believe and in the hope that God has just getting back to the fundamentals and basics of our Christianity. So stay tuned for that. Oh man, LaCroix in hand, friends in the studio. Gosh, this is crazy. I So if you haven't tuned into the podcast before on this show, try to cultivate an environment that allows the Spirit of God to move. And, and Michael and Caleb and I were just talking about if before we, before we went live that if the Spirit isn't speaking, then really we're not saying anything of value mm. at all. We, we have to come from a place of this internal eternal value this eternal perspective things that will actually last forever like imagine if you did everything for an eternal purpose right like you didn't just do something for like the piece of paper or the thing or the or whatever it is that's going to go away if what if everything we did most of our accomplishments would last forever that would just be incredible. So getting focused on that and how to glorify God. So we do that through conversations, stories, and ideas. And on today's episode, we have Mike Medusia. Man, Bailey, it's just it's been <laughs> it's been wonderful just in the talks that we've had before this, and I just know that what's gonna happen right now and right <laughs> here is gonna be just as incredible. Yeah. And I'm just eternally grateful that this moment right here is going to be a memory that I'm going to cherish for eternity. Mm. And I, I, I know that God is going to be here in this. Mm. Agree a hundred percent. Like God will give, like God gives me a vision of how these things start. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes they're different, but there is just, there's things we could know in the spiritual that we have no idea why we know them. Mm. This discernment, this, we know what kind of spirit we're walking into. You kind of have this inclination. You know, some people are more adapt to it than others, but the closer you get to Jesus, the more you are like, man, I just have to submit to this quiet whisper, this this uh, this connection and in step with the spirit. And so I've been really excited about this. So yeah. you have been someone I've been wanting to talk to on here for a while. And I think sometimes, you know, the people I want to talk to most, sometimes I don't ask them right away to mm. come on because I'm like, man, I I first and foremost care about talking to this person and I don't want them to think it's just, you know, for a podcast. Like first and foremost, this is the purpose is us to be here together. So I'm honored. Uh, let me just introduce you real fast. 
you have been on uh, staff doing uh, ministry and missions with Chi Alpha and Mountain Valley for a little while now. I would say four years officially. Okay. Yeah. Dude, that that's just, I mean, there's so much to learn from that. I think, you know, we can, as, as young people, we can get so we can get so caught up in the movement of things and the progression of our lives. And we kind of sometimes uh, we care more about like the next step and what Mm. things are happening. And we just kind of get caught up in this like downward snowball. And sometimes we don't take a step back to say, Hey, you know, is God actually wanting me to be on this movement that the kind of world has me Mm. on? And do I have to be, you know, jumping from one thing to or from another, which seems like our generation kind of, you know, glorifies like, oh, just jump from one job to the other until you achieve your, you know, desired position in life. Mm-hmm. And one thing I really saw in you is when I first met you, we met out at Josh's brother's land. That was fun. And uh we were just talking and I, I for first off, I didn't even know that you were on staff for that long. And and second off, like to hear how you talked about like, you know, where you are in maturity, where you are in age, where you are in life and your relationship to that and this calmness and peace about it was just honestly inspiring to me Mm. because I definitely come from a place of like, man, I I need to like do something. I need to like achieve something in my life. Mm. I I have to go out and get it and and seeing you and others and kind of taking a step back and saying well does that actually even matter you know and so I'm very appreciative of having you on and I'm excited so yeah and I can definitely speak a little bit into that is that well our society like you said before has this just preoccupation that there's always something better on the next step Mm. and the problem with thinking that is that when you get to that next thing that's better, you've spent a lifetime training yourself into believing that there's always another step, that there's other, uh, there's always something better over the next hill. Mm. Well, eventually, there is a final hill, and that hill's name is death. And it doesn't matter how good you are, how far you've come, or the greatest <laughs> thing that you've attained in this world, you will fit, you will hit that hill. Mm. And the greatest thing that you could ever achieve is having a relationship with Jesus Christ that will carry you over that hill. And if you have anything but that, it doesn't matter how momentous of life you lived here. You're going to hit that hill and you're going to realize that you fell short of the greatest thing in the universe. Wow. So what? So describe to people like why, why things are meaningless without <laughs> that knowing of of connection with God like without the without the eternal why yeah. are things here meaningless like why can't yeah. I just live my life YOLO like think about what I want to think about like yeah I want to honor God but like uh, I can spend as much time as I want on Instagram that it really doesn't right. matter I can you know just play video games all day that doesn't really matter why is like time valuable why is our like the momentum valuable and our choice is valuable, and then, like, what makes things actually worth it? Right. Well, I mean, I could speak from personal experience, <laughs> but I think I want to refer to my good friend, Watchman Nee. Mm. And 
to all of y'all that have never heard of Watchman Nee, I would very much encourage you to look into him. This was a man who got saved in communist China. And what happened was Nee was probably one of the, he was basically the Apostle Paul, I would say, for the underground churches in China. And he wrote a ton of books, a ton of books. And no matter how many I have, I do not have enough of them, I will say that. But what happened is in one of his books, he, he just dropped this incredible gem. And that was that, you know, in China, they can shut down whatever they want, whenever they want, doesn't matter how successful it is, doesn't matter how poorly it's doing, it's at the whim of the government. Mm. Now, imagine this, you have a very prosperous, very successful bank, and the government tells everyone in six months, this bank will be shut down. Now I ask you, as the person, how much are you willing to invest in this bank that is only going to be around for another six months? Doesn't matter how prosperous it looks, only six more months. How much money do you want to put into that, Bailey? Zero. Yeah. Or at the very, I'm not going to put more than $100 in. Maybe they have right. a really good interest plan or something like that. Sure. Maybe I get a free toaster out of opening a checking account. You never know. But the idea is to get in and get out. Yeah. Get what you need from it, mm. and but don't put too much value in it. You would never put no. too much value in it. And it's that stark sense of reality that this thing's going to die. Mm. It doesn't matter how nice it looks. It doesn't matter how fancy they have the foyer. It's dead. It's just not there yet. What kind of bank would you be willing to invest mm. in, though? Like, what is the ideal bank? Someplace that's safe, secure, it's going to last. And it may look look the prettiest right now, but in the long run, you've got the best return on your investment you've ever got. Mm. And the Bible says, do not store your riches here on earth where they can be, you know, hit with rust or moths can eat them up, but store your treasure in heaven. And mm. if I were to give that bank that's going to shut down in six months a name it's called the world so it doesn't matter how good it's going for you in this life right now it's temporary it's it's a temporary existence that we have on this earth and heaven is the promise of the eternal mm. and i could say you know in regards to like the video games especially is that it doesn't matter what it is. I think we've all hit a point in our lives, saved or unsaved, regardless of who's watching, that you look at the thing that you've invested so much time in and you look at it honestly and you say to yourself, is this worth it? What am I getting out of this? I know for me, I would spend countless hours playing video games. And then one day I stepped back and I looked at it all and I said, what do I have to show for any of this? Like, who's going to honestly be impressed? Mm. And it was a shallow kind of reasoning, but yes, who's going to be impressed of my countless hours put into this game? <laughs> who who cares? Should I care? And I think that was like one of the first steps to me having my mm. eyes open to just like how shallow and unsatisfying worldly things are. That just made me think of something like, so when you play a video game, the only real thing that would impress anybody is if you're like a ninja or something to where you transfer whatever you're doing from this virtual game into real life currency. Mm -hmm. Think about it this way. The only thing that's valuable from this game we call life mm -hmm. is the things we travel, we transfer into the realer life, yeah. which is this eternal life, mm -hmm. uh, in the age to come you yeah. know there's always a there's always the idea in the back of your mind like what's next there has to be something more real than this 
See, the things in video games, right. like you said before, are only valuable if they can affect the real life. So you have like gold farmers that are making like a mint off of like selling an in-game currency or like CSGO players where they like all like barter and bargain for real life money yeah. for these things. And even on a smaller level, like um, Xbox, like the achievement system, that's meant to brag to your friends, but it only is a currency that matters to them because they're all already invested in that fantasy world. Mm. To your friends that are outside of that fantasy world, it has no real meaning at all. And like you were saying before, what do you have to show for your life that shows that you have been investing in a higher reality, heaven's reality? What do you honestly have that you can show Jesus Christ, the one who loves you, who cares for you, who died for you? What do you have to show that you've done with this life that he's entrusted to you? that's worth entering into that higher reality. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that, that you know, what else, and this is a little off topic, and then we can get back mm. to it. Uh, not not entirely, though, is is this, uh, you know, to faith in Jesus is to see the trustworthiness of, of God mm. making promises and keeping his promises. So we're like, okay, the God of Israel, uh, Jesus, uh, Yahweh, that God... Uh, among the other little G gods is the one that I should put my trust in. We saw like, you know, he's made promises to Abraham and, 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 and a lot of that has been fulfilled through Jesus. Mm. And, and so we see this historical relevance to that. And then you think of all of the people, myself at one time included, that put so much faith and trust in America yeah. that has n- little to no relevant mm-hmm. track record of the trustworthiness of putting our faith into yeah. that institution, I guess you could mm-hmm. call it our country. Like it's, it's, there's not a lot of like, there's not a lot of lot to show for it. There is this small amount of time and this like hype that we have because of the privileges and the freedoms we have that we're mm-hmm. thankful for and that God has blessed us with. But when you really look to it, there's not a lot of security there. No, there isn't. <laughs> it's all, honestly, it's all borrowed interest. So let's say you as a broker, because that's what's going on right now. Yeah. You have no money at all. And somebody with a lot of money comes up and says, I will give you out of my pile of 100 gold bars, 20. And you say, okay, well, what do I need to do with that? And he says, I want you to invest it wisely. And I would like a return on my investment one day. Now, there's some parallels here before, between the parable of, you know, the wise and the wicked servants that Jesus talks about. But for today's terms, modified a little bit. Yeah. So here's what happens is you are given the 20 gold bars and you're like, OK, I have to do something with this. Well, first of all, everybody knows that it's gold. This is real gold. It's real value. It's been given to you by somebody that's reliable, that's trustworthy, and you need to do something good with it. What will the world think of you if you take 19 of those gold bars and throw them into the river or 15 of those gold bars and just throw them at any random thing that comes by? You're expected to use what you've been given with wisdom, right? And certainty. And definitely it's, it's a lending of authority is what it is. You have been given a line of credit mm. and that lending of authority is not from you because you were broke. And that's what America is going through right now is that, any authority that America had was built on godly 
principles and on God-given righteousness. Mm. I was reading Orr earlier, and he says, you know, Jefferson David is the one, you know, you can argue about his theism or <laughs> deism as you want, but he pinned the line, you know, God-given rights mm. and self-evident God-given rights. America was founded on godly morals, and we've strayed away from that. We have taken every single gold bar, and we have looked at it, perceived it as being worthless, and thrown it away. And what will happen when the creditor comes back and he sees what we have done with the investment of his authority? Mm. And I shudder to think about what's going to happen because what's going to happen is judgment. Because he has every right, every right to hold you accountable mm. for what you have done with what he has given you. Mm. So like, not only have we not invested ourselves in things that have any real value... Mm-hmm. But we've actually taken it a step further and we've went down to a level of corruption yeah. that requires a judgment in mm-hmm. order to eradicate the mm-hmm. cancerous mm-hmm. part of it for us to have mm-hmm. a society or a life or a world that is filled with people who are righteous. Yeah, and... Any society, you know, we can kind of like look at the world and say America. But what is America? America is a collection of people. It's a big collection of people. But America will only be as just or as corrupt as the people in it. And so these things that I've told you about, you know, the 20 gold bars, we were applying that to America. But if America is a collection of people, then that means that also applies to the people in it. And that means for the person walking on the street, God has given him a certain amount of credit as well. And he will either gain more or he will have everything taken away from him based on how he behaves and acts with what God has given him. And if we want to see righteousness and justice return to America, and this is kind of rabbit trailing over the love stuff. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second. And I'll I'll actually use this as a transition. It's like if you want to see righteousness return to America, you need to see rightness return to the people's hearts. And that can only come through a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. No other way. First, it's figuring out the priority of our love. I think even as Bible Belt believing Mm. crazed Christians, (laughs) we we weren't really taught correctly. You know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but for the majority, weren't taught correctly in that God's highest good is our priority. Mm-hmm. It's not even like like loving your neighbor is only a byproduct of us first rightly responding to God. Mm-hmm. Like knowing and acknowledging. I think we've we've taken the personal out of God mm-hmm. and that's what kind of causes this. The same way in the same way that taking the personal out of the people around us and in life itself causes us to be nihilists, yeah. you know, when, because we don't really understand or believe that God has emotions. Mm-hmm. And when we act against him and against his people in a way that is sinful, which really just means to, to basically take anything good mm-hmm. out of something and just only, only act 
according to our own selfishness. When we do that, we actually break God's heart. Oh yes, absolutely. And so like we need to get that in our in our hearts and our minds. It's like mm-hmm. our first priority, even though we can't see him, mm-hmm. is to minister to God's heart, mm-hmm. not just to other people. And <laughs> you know, we're not doing that either. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, for the most part, but yeah. Yeah, it's it's a sad thing, and it's a, it's it's a reality that we do face. And um, as someone who has spent a lot of time on a college campus mm-hmm. doing outreach and that kind of ministry, where basically every day you talk to students, and a lot of them do come from that Bible Belt area that you've right. seen. You know what I really see is there is a lack of sparkle and passion in their eyes when I bring up the topic of Jesus Christ, mm. and that breaks my heart. It really does. Um, you know, if Jesus yeah. Christ is what you proclaim him to be, then there should be like just a leap in your heart when the topic turns to Jesus. And you're just like, finally, he's yeah. talking about what matters. Yes. Like, I am so sick and tired of talking about my grades with somebody. Please, somebody speak life and hope into my life. And I know that because that was me. Right. Like, I, my testimony is, it's... It's not like I got delivered from a ton of drugs or from a crazy lifestyle or I murdered somebody and covered it up. And here I'm confessing here right now, like, and the cops are outside. It's nothing like that. But I still had to be saved from something. And Jesus himself says that whoever has been forgiven of much loves much. And a lot of people think that, oh, because I grew up in the church, I grew up as a Christian. I didn't get saved from much. Uh, My parents were good, godly people, and they kept me from doing a bunch of things that I regret later on. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, congratulations, but you still have not realized the depth of the sin that Jesus had to deliver you from and the destruction that you were about to be delivered to. So for me, when I was growing up, I grew up in the church and I love my mom. And she was very diligent that if there was a church service that week, I would be there Mm -hmm. whether I liked it or not. Mm -hmm. And back then I did not like it. All right. So Growing up, I'm constantly going to church services. I'm constantly listening to the word of God, to his laws, and to how great Jesus is. And it all fell on deaf ears. And by that, I mean like it was in my head, but not a single one of those words moved my heart at all. It was dead. And I behaved around my parents. I behaved around my peers. But privately, like just regret, bitterness. Bitterness was a big deal for me. I got bullied a lot, you know. Uh, I think everybody's experienced maybe a little bit of bullying. And I'm not trying to brag and say my life was worse than anybody else's. But how I responded to it was definitely pretty bad. I internalized it. And I started to believe that nobody could be trusted. That nobody was worth trusting, actually. And I think the word is misanthrope, where basically you start to develop just kind of hatred of people in general. And this resulted in me cutting myself off internally from other people. Now, on the outside, I was a very good actor. I could hold a conversation with anybody. I had a a bit of a silver tongue, and I could... Mm. Basically, my goal was to get you to go away as fast as possible in the conversation, though. And I was very much easily provoked into anger and into tears. And all of that was a result of holding on to unforgiveness for years, years. And one day, I, I'm so grateful for this. My mom was like, all right, the church that we're going to is having a youth camp during the summer. Would you like to go? And it had to have been God to open my eyes because 
honestly, looking back now, I cannot think of any reason why a misanthrope would want to go to a Christian <laughs> church camp. But something in me stirred and was like, you know, my heart is hurting right now. Mm. I want friends. I'll take a risk. And so I went. And that moment changed my life. When I got to that church camp, they did this thing where they separated out the guys from the girls. And I'm like, oh, great. It's going to be that talk. 16-year-old <laughs> Mike, yeah, I know what this talk's about. And it could have been that talk. But I'm thankful that it wasn't. Because what happened was I remember this pastor walking out on the stage. And I don't know what it was. It felt like it was just to me. Mm. But he started with this. And this is to a bunch of church kids. I don't see a single person in this room that loves Jesus. There is not a single Christian in this room. And that was like an arrow that pierced my heart. And for the first time, I think that I can remember, I had a vision from the Lord. And I remember in this vision, what happened was, um, at the time, my bus stop was like an acre or two away from my house. So it was a pretty long walk. And I remember I'm walking home and I'm carrying one of those just disgusting black trash bags that is it's just leaking. And if you've ever done any manual labor, you know what I'm talking about. And this thing is just awful. I cannot stress how awful it was. And I remember it was hot and I'm tired and I'm just absolutely fed up. And it's so far away to my house. And I remember just walking as far as I could and almost collapsing. And I just cried out in hurt and bitterness and rage. Why? Mm. Why am I carrying this? What's the point? And I remember a voice just came in softly and clearly. And it asked me a question back. Why are you carrying it? <laughs> and I was, yeah. I was dumbfounded. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And for the first time, I realized that it was not really chained to me. It was my hands holding onto it. Mm. And I remember the voice saying very calmly, this is your heart. Your heart is full of bitterness and rage and envy. Mm. And unless you let go of this, it's not going to go well for you. And I said to God, Lord, if you take this from me, if you take my heart and make it clean, I'll follow you. And I remember the bag fell off my shoulders. And I remember that vision ended and I was running free. And when I came to, everybody was filing out and I felt light, like immensely light. And that night at the altars, when they did the altar call, I gave my life to Jesus Christ for real. Wow. And it, 16 years of hearing the law, 16 years of going to church, 16 years of going to every good preacher and having godly parents and growing up Christian in a Christian culture did not save me. One encounter with the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ and him meeting me where I was at and speaking to me changed everything. Wow. And it did change everything. That makes me think of repentance. We were talking to Daniel today and he was mm. like, we, we are responsible for how we paint things. Yeah. The light in which we present things to people. Like what, what is the way that we're presenting repentance? Mm. Usually it's this sucks. Like, you're horrible. You need to go repent and, and turn from your ways. But what he was saying is we need to we need to paint repentance as its true self, which yeah. is you don't have to be stuck yeah. where you're at. There is a way. Here's the answer. Mm. And it's up to them to choose that. But 
that is the truth of it. It's repentance isn't for God. It's for us. He gave us repentance as a gift. You don't have to live a life of misery. You no. don't have to live a life of hatred and um and and just all that junk. You don't have to just be in the pig's trough. You can return. Oh yeah. To the father's home. And it's it's so true. And I know when I came back um to my high school, people were like this man's different. Mm. Um, I could take a joke. That was a big one. I could laugh with people. Trust me, like the bullying didn't stop uh, when you got back because they all think you're the same weak little individual. Right. And yet here's Mike Medusia had an encounter with God. They're over here push, trying to push him back and he's just laughing in their faces. And it wasn't like a sp- out of spite. I was just full of joy. Mm. And I was like full of forgiveness. I was forgiving people left and right of things they had done to me. And the crazy thing was like, nobody, you know, nobody told me I really needed to read my Bible or how, but I would get there um, early with the bus. I know I was a 16 year old bus rider. It was great. Naps all the time. But um, I would get there early with the bus and during the breakfast time before classes, I would just have my Bible open and I would be reading it. And I was just hungry to read the Bible. And people were like stopping by and looking and like, what is he doing? And... I was talking about what God was doing in my life. Now, I wasn't the best at it. I, I didn't have discipleship. And that's why discipleship is so important, is to get a hold of young Christians and teach them in the way of the law. Like, not in like, oh, man, like you do this, 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 you get a slap on the wrist. But then the law of not breaking Jesus's heart, the laws of relationship. It's the same way where a father has to teach his son, like, son, this is how you have a girlfriend. Like, this is how you interact with somebody without, you know, causing harm. This is how you continue a romance. And that's what discipleship is. It's like somebody needs to step in and show you how to continue the romance. And I didn't really have that until I got to college. And because of that, even when I got to college and I started getting discipled, I started to take advantages of the freedom that God had given me. I started to take those gold ingots that God had given me and start seeing them as less valuable than they were and not taking care of them, mm. not investing them wisely. Is that the, the verse? Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but you, you probably know it where it's uh, if basically talking about how when you're doing something for the reward, mm. like, hey, you've gotten your reward. Yeah. You're completely devaluing it. Like you're devaluing the gift of God when you're doing it for for the 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 praise of man. Yes, and Jesus says that when he's like, if, "Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't go out and pray loudly on the street corner uh, in the sight of men, or else that's all the reward you will ever get." But instead, yeah. go into the secret place. Love that podcast. <laughs> if look up the secret place, if you want an incredible, incredible look at getting alone with God, secret place podcast. Mm. But um, get alone with God. And he'll meet you there. And I once heard it said that your walk with the Lord in public, the fruitfulness, like if you're a small group leader, um, the amount of progress your small group makes will be directly proportional to how much time you spend in the secret place with God. The amount of blessing you receive in public is directly related to the amount of intimacy you have with him in private. Yeah, because you have to think about it like you're only one person. 
and you can call people on the phone and you leverage technology to kind of extend mm. your reach beyond where you're at at that certain time but you're really just limited to this body yeah your mind and your resources mm. but when you're th- talking about people coming to the lord and and what we're hoping for this year is is just mass quantities oh, yeah. of people overflow coming people overflow right and we're already feeling it we're already seeing it we're believing it god is speaking it but we have to take god seriously yeah <laughs> because like god has power mm-hmm. he doesn't control people but he has power and he will bring people to you and he can change the schedule of sam or jared or whoever or cindy whoever mm-hmm. you're talking to or, or whoever you're going to meet in a way that you would never be able to and it's all supernatural it god will always do things in a way where you're like this this is glorious but i couldn't do it it's god mm-hmm. and you know i can't help but think at all the years that i wasted my time doing things that weren't profitable doing things in my own power instead of relying on God. And I can definitely say that throughout throughout most of my college career, you know, as I was really learning and coming to grips with how to love God properly, at some point I started getting invested in being foolish with my time. Now, I was still part of Chi Alpha starting in 2011. The Chi Alpha was wonderful, and I am eternally grateful for them because they found me. And they brought me into a place of discipleship and a place of learning and a place of seeing Christian culture, what it could look like if people there want it to be there because they love Jesus Christ. It's mind boggling. And I'm eternally grateful for them. But in my own private time, instead of investing in reading because I loved Jesus like I did at the beginning, I started to invest my time in video games and in frivolous pursuits and um, eventually just dumber stuff, sinful stuff. And I knew it was wrong. All of it was wrong. And I knew it was all foolish. But as I drifted further and further away from Christ, it became harder and harder to maintain the facade of being a small group leader. And at the same time, I had a mental disconnect in my head of, why is my small group not working? Like, what's Mm -hmm. going on? Like, why am I powerless? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's what it is, is I was powerless. I was doing all of the right things. I was meeting people. I was talking to people. And I was trying to bring them to small group and trying to bring them to um, fellowship with God. None of it was working. Not a single person. Like I made friends, but I didn't see converts. And um, I basically just resigned myself to like, well, I guess this is the way it is. Never minding how far I had pushed God out of my private life. And I'm just not that extrovert person. I'm I'm just not the one. You know, it's such a dumb thing to call yourself because you're limiting what God can do in you for real. And what ended up happening was um, Eli Stewart came. And Eli came, I think, five years ago. And he brought the rowdiest bunch of people I'd ever met in my life, like for real rowdy. And when they came, what they did was they just started issuing like challenges left and right and center. And it was challenges like, all right, we're dropping you off in a random town in Colorado because we were up there. We didn't literally drive up to Colorado just for this, but it was a retreat. We're dropping you off in a random town in Colorado. You're not allowed to come back till you talk to three people about Jesus. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I've never done anything like this before. What's going on? What's happening? 
And it's, it started to just really show how powerless I had become. And things that were easy to other people were hard to me now. Whereas beforehand, like, you know, uh, if I had just gotten saved and somebody had come to me with all of these like incredible books like Daniel Owen suggested, I probably would have been tearing through them. Like I used to literally read a novel in two days. Wow. It was insane. I just wouldn't sleep. And when I got saved, uh, that continued with the Bible. I would just stay up all night and read the Bible. And then I would, I started neglecting all of that. And it eventually came to the point where I, in recognition of how powerless I was, I started to really wonder if this was the place that I was supposed to be. And, you know, confusion comes in in that area. And when you have lost sight of the ultimate treasure and the ultimate prize of Jesus Christ, other less valuable things that are closer to you start to look more attractive. And you can, you can have something that looks really good on paper and to all the world become an idol mm. in your eyes. And you're miserable. Oh, absolutely. I was. And I know there's countless people on campus that are too. And, and what, everybody thinks yeah. they're doing great. Yeah. And in the eyes of everybody else, they are. And it's because you have stopped using the metrics of God and you have started using the metrics of man to measure your success. And yet you still go to bed miserable every single night. And you still think, why God, why? Why am I not seeing the promises in the Bible fulfilled? And I'll tell you why. It's because Revelations 2.4. And I, I started to like really understand that these last years with the internship in Chi Alpha. So... What ended up happening was I wanted to graduate uh, in 2000, what does my ring say? 2017, there we go. <laughs> I was about to graduate after my tenure as an engineer and just going to engineering firm. And uh, we went to something called the World Mission Summit. And I, if you're in Chi Alpha, I honestly hope you get to go sometime soon. I know it was supposed to be this year. It's been kind of crazy. I know it's going to happen soon. You need to go. For my small group guys, you got to go, all right? <laughs> you have to go. If you're watching this right now, you're going. But um, what ended up happening is <laughs> <laughs> what ended up happening is I go to this incredible conference with all of these missionaries from around the world, and I'm about to graduate in a semester. And I'm sitting up in the stands, and um, the final speaker says, if there's anybody that wants to give a year with Chi Alpha and pray about doing ministry work for a lifetime, I would like you to come down to the front. And I'm up in the stands, heart hardened, arms crossed. And I'm like, <laughs> I've heard that all my life. I ain't doing it. And then I hear God say, you're doing it. Mm. And you want to know what I said to that? Nah. Exactly. <laughs> Straight up. I told God, the creator of the universe, the lover of my immortal soul, told him no. And God said, really? <laughs> all right, let's talk about it. And so God and I are in the bleachers having an audible argument like, it looks like I'm a crazy person just arguing with the air. And God is responding to every single one of my complaints. And he's like, haven't you learned to trust me? Haven't you seen the wonderful things that are going on in front of me? You want to leave it? Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out of your life then. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? And then I just felt the presence of God kind of like lift off me like a blanket. And wow. like all of these securities that I had of, you know, thinking that I was still right with the Lord, even though in my private time I wasn't, gone. And I felt afraid. And I was like, I think I've fallen out of love with the Lord. And more than that, um, I'm being disobedient. And if I continue this path, 
I know the Lord's not going to be with me. And that was the scariest thing of all. And so I said, God, I repent. I change my heart, my mind. Do whatever seems right. It's worth it. And then God came back and started a four-long process of restoring me back to my first love. And I do, I do stress that because I honestly have to say to those of you that profess to love Jesus Christ right now, can you honestly say that you love Jesus more than you did when you first got saved? And I think that's a genuine question that we have to constantly ask ourselves is, am I more in love with God right now than I was when I first got saved? Mm. And mm. it broke me. That question broke me. Because I, I honestly could not answer that. Oh, I could answer it. I just didn't like the answer. And so you like, I can, I've got my little Bible here. And I'm just going to read that verse real fast. Yeah. One second. So this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to the seven churches. And it says in verse two, starting with two, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And that's a pretty good list, you know? Like, I would love for Jesus to say, oh, you work, you're patient, you're doing all of these good things, and you don't hang out with bad people, you know? I'm like, yeah, Jesus, gold sticker for me. Mm. Fantastic. And then he goes on, and he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Mm. And that broke me. Broke me, broke me, broke me, broke me. And Because God opened my eyes to all of these things that I had been doing, continuously doing. And yet the love I had for him was less than the love for I had, the love I had for him at the beginning. Wow. Wow. You just got used to him. Like, just got. Yeah. Because, uh, man, we're, you know, it, al- it always seems for me to come back to spiritual warfare. Yeah. But we really do have, like, an opposition. You yeah. Know? Like, we we have to keep that in mind. Like, you're not exempt hmm. from trial. You're not exempt from the potential deception mm. just because you follow Jesus. Yeah. You actually have a bigger target. So, like, if you're watching this and, and you don't have a relationship with God right now, think about, and if you're thinking about be- becoming a Christian, becoming a Christ follower, a little Christ, like, understand what the implications are because you can't go back like Mm -hmm. you can backtrack and lose your salvation but you can't get out of that decision Mm -hmm. like you are signing up for something that will affect you from a conviction standpoint forever yeah you got to count the cost (laughs) i mean it jesus literally lays out count the cost before you follow me Mm. because you're gonna die like your 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 flesh will die that is a prerequisite for life is death. Right. And, you know, I, I went through all of these like things and I'm just like, absolutely like, I think now I can honestly say I am more in love with Jesus than I've ever been. And a big part of it was 
repentance. I noticed it in you the other yeah. day. It was repentance. And it even says, you know, in the revel- in the revelation, repent. And you asked me earlier, like, you know, the word study. Yeah. So I've been doing these incredible word studies with the Bible lately. And um, Watchman Nee in the book, You Search the Scriptures, actually kind of lays out how he does that. And that's what inspired me. And he said one of the things that he does is he picks a word in the Bible and looks it over and sees how it plays with everything. Yeah. And he'll do that for about 20 minutes every day. And that'll produce incredible short-term growth in you. Yeah. And then you can study like bigger themes like the atonement. And those might yield growth in four or five years. And Eli Stewart has been incredible because as part of the internship, I also did some book study and he introduced me to a lot of the tools such as Blue Letter Bible. That's an incredible site. They have an interlinear built in so you don't need to carry around a 30 pound strong <laughs> concordance everywhere, yeah. honestly. Um, but breaking, I did a little bit of breaking down of this, this verse is what I was hoping of two four okay and uh, can I before you yeah. even start this can I tell you what this did in my heart mm-hmm. it made me think why don't I care enough about the Bible and about God to be doing a word study like this and being this like uh, meticulous about it mm-hmm. this diligent and like man I want to know what these words are and I want to take my time to like you care so much about this like Really, it's, it's, it's not about a certain goal, but it's like, I care about God, okay? And I know God wants me to grow into a mighty man of God, yeah. you know? And so I have to make the decisions now in order to be, mm-hmm. in order to walk according to the calling in which I've been called. Yeah. And, and this really, I was like, just when I, when you were, you walked out, you were so excited. You walked out of, uh, of your room and came into the living room and... Uh, and you were just talking about the word study and how you were like, did you know, actually, like I've been doing a word study on laziness <laughs> and la- the opposite of laziness is actually not work. It's diligence. That's what you said. Yeah. And I was like, whoa. And just to understand that little thing, it opens your heart and your mind to so much more of what God is actually trying to say there. Mm. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, in all in one moment, like receiving this, like, you know, this check in my spirit, this conviction of like, you've never done that, Bailey. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right, I haven't. But that's a gift. Like that conviction is not like, oh, Bailey, you're like so much worse than Michael. That's what the devil would tell you. Mm. But... God's like, hey, have you ever thought about doing that? Yeah. And the natural response of the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, asking you a question like that in that manner, the natural response, if you love him, is conviction. Oh, yeah. Man, I haven't thought about you that way, God. And it's a good thing. And so so that was my response <laughs> to it. And so if anybody's watching... Ignore the devil, cast away the devil to, to say, oh, I've never done like something like that. And use it as inspiration because uh, I, I've been inspired by this. So, oh, yeah. The absolute goal <laughs> of all of this is not to flex. have more knowledge or to flex. Yeah. And even then, it's like we can be so tempted to compare our lives and where we're at in our walk with somebody else. Right. Regardless of where they are. Like you can be a Christian 20 years down the line and just learning 
you know, like, oh man, I'm still a spiritual baby. And you can be a Christian that's only been around for a year and yet be a spiritual titan. And what affects that is not knowledge, it's intimacy. Mm. The closer you are to Jesus, the more power you have. And you're not trying to seek out Jesus or more of Jesus for the sake of power. It's because he's worth getting to know. He's Mm. worth loving. And all of the things that he promises are true, but they're true for the people that love him. And I had to, I had to learn that. And that's what this is incredible for is that the Bible, Jesus himself says the Pharisees knew the old Testament forward and back, like compared to a Pharisee, you know, like it doesn't matter how many (laughs) verses you have memorized. You can be like the best Bible camp Christian ever. And like gotten all the prizes Pharisee would show up, smoke you, take all of the candy and be like, serves you right. You know? Right. But Jesus himself calls them out and says, you hypocrites, you know, you guys have read through the scriptures looking for the secrets of eternal life. And yet they all point to me. The Bible points to Jesus. Mm. And I'm right in front of you. Yeah. And yet you deny me. Oh, yeah. And so, like, we can give you all of this knowledge, Mm. like word studies or a Bible reading plan or how we do our daily devos. (laughs) We can give you a laundry list of rules of ways that we live our lives but if it does not get you closer to jesus it's not worth a lick Mm. you must get closer to jesus first and everything else will follow now yes there's some discipline involved like if you don't read your bible it's going to be very easy for satan to pull the wool over your eyes and it's very easy for you to start hearing things from the world or from your friends and you might be like tempted to think oh the bible does say that like, there's a lot of stuff flying around in the world right now that slanders God. Think about it this way. If your wife wrote you a bunch of letters mm-hmm. and you never read them, do you actually love her? <laughs> we have a bunch of letters from God. Mm. Different different mm. authors to different people groups. They're not directly to us as American people, but... We have a bunch of letters from God, yeah, and we get to read them, and it's a privilege to read them. <laughs> it's a, the Bible itself. I've heard it described. It's the best love story on earth. Right. It is a huge love letter to you from God, penned by Jesus. And you know, it's just Straight sad. <laughs> it's just sad to see some people look at it as less than nothing, and some people that profess to be Christians look at it. And say, you know, I'm going to pick and choose which parts here that affirm me. And I'm going to leave out the parts that don't. It'd be the exact same as rifling through all of these letters that your wife has written you. And leaving out all of the requests on the refrigerator for you to take out the trash. Right. It's like, oh, I'm only going <laughs> to hold on to the ones that make me feel good. But all of like the tasks that requ- that are required for us to have a good house and a loving relationship. And for our kids to actually have food in their stomach. I'm going to ignore those because they don't make me feel good. Mm. And it's just the most hypocritical thing to ever see. They give me responsibility. They require me to repent. Mm. I don't like that. But it's all for the purpose of getting closer to Jesus. There are things you just can't do in a relationship and expect it to bear fruit. Any relationship, even anything as small as a friendship. Like if you're stealing $100 bills out of your friend's nightstand... And he finds out, kicks you out, and gets mad at you. I'm not going to have much sympathy for you. I'm going to point you to Jesus and say there's forgiveness. But honestly, like the world would probably just be like, yeah, you deserve that. And yet 
you know, we can't apply that logic to how we treat Jesus. Um, I was ministering to a guy and it was hard. Um, just listening to all of the things that he was doing and yet still professing to love Jesus Christ. And it may have been the only time I think in my life that I've had righteous anger. And it was, it was like, just for God's sake, like, like what you were doing, just like it would, it was sickening to me. And I told him like, I don't think you can, you can't call yourself a Christian anymore. I just told him flat out, like the way you were living and the way you were talking about God it, it, that's my best friend. That's the lover of my soul. And it hurts to listen to you. And I think the metaphor that I said was, you know, you know how I said when growing up, I got picked on a lot. Yeah. I think the thing I wanted more than anything else was a true friend. That would stick up for you. Yeah, stick up for me, wouldn't betray me, wouldn't belittle me, wouldn't leave me. <laughs> All of these wonderful yeah. things that are the ideal of friendship. Yeah, you know, young Mike wanted that. And I said to this guy, okay, what happens if you who are in a similar circumstance want these things? Like young, you know, young Billy, we'll call him Billy. Young Billy, he got hurt, he wants a real genuine friend and he grows up and he sees two people that have that, like absolutely have that. Like you look at them and it's just like, these are the dudes. These are the dudes that are gonna have a relationship that's like the ideal. Like they're always there for each other. They got each other's back. They care yeah. about each other. They're the best friends you could ever have. And you start hanging out with them because of course what they have is attractive. It's ideal. And you're like, maybe I can have that. And so you're with one of them and the other one kind of like, all right, I'm going to go get some food. See you guys. What do you want? Cause he's a cool guy. He's like, I'm going to pay for the hot dogs. So he leaves and you're alone with that guy and you're just chilling. And he says, Hey, take a look at this. And he opens up his wallet and there's a hundred dollar bill right there. And he goes, guess where I got this? Mm. I got it from his, I got it from his nightstand. He doesn't know. He has no clue. He's such an idiot. He's such a fool. Why would he trust me? Look at all the things he has. You know, I think I'm going to go back there later. He's got too many Xbox controllers. I'll take one of those too. He's not going to miss it. And I asked the guy, how would you feel seeing that? Somebody taking something so precious that you want so bad and stepping on it and smearing it with his foot. Mm. You know, how would you feel, Bailey, seeing that? Yeah. And I looked at him in the eyes and I said, and right now, that friend that you're betraying, his name is Jesus Christ. And I am seeing this, and that is why I am sick. So do you think the reason we don't stick up for God is kind of just, we don't really believe that he's real. Mm. In, in some sense, like at least Christians, you know, <laughs> what you're talking about, these mm. people professing Christians that like that, like that guy, like we just like, we don't believe he's real in the same way mm. that I believe you're real. Yeah. Like, oh, totally. I would stick up for my friend, but like God's invisible or he's God. He, he doesn't get hurt. Well, you want to know what changed that guy? So first the words cut him to his heart. Wow. Um, they stirred his conscience. They awakened his conscience. Just like that pastor said, when I was 16, I don't see a Christian in this room. And it cut my heart. It cut through the hardened exterior shell of my heart to the reality of the matter, which is what I was against God. And it didn't matter what I told myself. I was actually against God in that moment. Mm. And then this guy, it's the same way as I did, was like, what do I do? 
and we laid hands on him and we presented the two options before him and we said you can you can continue doing your your stuff and you're going to be an enemy of Christ or you can lay hold of Christ and he's going to restore you and he's going to bring you into that relationship that you really want mm. and we said we're going to pray over you and Christ is going to reveal the answer to you we're not going to pick for you so we laid hands on him and we prayed over him and after about 5 minutes he says I want Christ. I want Jesus. He had an encounter with God. And that took God from being an idea, some sort of, you know, like great idea like capitalism or um, charity. It took it from something up here in his head to something here in right. his heart. And now it was an undeniable person that he was against. And now he could no longer rationalize it away as some sort of unseen force or something that he could make up for later down the line and balance the scales. Yeah. It was a person right there right now who was weeping over him. You know how you like cast out darkness? Mm -hmm. You you turn the light on. Yeah. And so I I want to expose a lie right now mm -hmm. that I think the world believes is it, it, the, the truth is there's no neutral parties. Oh no, there isn't. There's no neutral parties. Mm -hmm. You, that's why, you know, there's so many scriptures of the lukewarm, the riding the fence, yeah, Christian or whatever you want to call him, Jew, or it's there's no neutral parties, mm -hmm. and not only is there no neutral parties, but thinking you're a neutral party, you're probably doing more damage mm -hmm. than the majority. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, but we're gonna we're actually gonna yeah, go let's, this let's go in <laughs> rabbit trail, boom, boom, boom. So, <laughs> thanks, Caleb. So, but looking at it, um, I just kind of was reading through it, and I'm like, this word is stirring my heart. I feel like it needs to be deeper, really looked into. Yeah. And the first one that I looked at was works. Mm -hmm. So you know, Jesus Himself says, "I know your works," and then later on He says, "Return to your works." It seems like an important word to look at. So I was like, okay, well, in Blue Letter Bible, the, it gives you various definitions. And all of the definitions were just like the typical words you would expect for work. You know, like putting energy into something, doing a job and stuff. But the thing that came valuable to that was it had all of the scriptural references. So there's something called the law of first mentions in the Bible. And that's like if a word is mentioned, look to the first time it is used in the Bible and it'll give you a really good baseline to use for everything else. And in this one, um, the Greek word is ergon. Now, I'm not going to pronounce it right. I'm just going to say that as is. I'm not going to pronounce it right. So the word used in this one is ergon. And the first use is in Matthew 5, 16. And it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Now, if you've, if you've ever heard that wonderful Newsboys song, this is where it comes from. You know, shine, yeah. let the whole world, you know, that one. But yeah, um, I love that song. It's a good song. It is. But you look at the whole this be. thing, good works, and it gives you the definition that Jesus uses that he's going to hold this church accountable for. Sure. Your good works that they glorify Father in heaven, and it shines before men. Now, um, in Matthew 23, 5, this was like the fourth one, but all their works they do to be seen by men. So this one you were talking about earlier with the Pharisees, that was actually this one. <laughs> oh, it's like wow. all the works that they do, the Pharisees do is to be seen by men. And so I'm reading this and I'm getting the distinct impression that all of the works that this church were doing 
had lost sight of the original idea of good works for Jesus and had now gone to pleasing men. But we have to go deeper than that because there's got to be a heart issue behind why they're doing that now. So the next word I felt strongly about was left. You have left your first love. And the word for that is aphium. And there's a couple definitions, and here are the ones that I felt like the Spirit was kind of pointing out. So one of them is to send away, almost like a husband divorcing their wife. And you look at that, and you're just like, they have divorced themselves from Jesus. And I was like, that hurts to think about. Like a, a congregation, the bride of Christ, has chosen divorce with Jesus. It's crazy. And another word was to let go of, to neglect. They have taken the love of Jesus and neglected it, kind of like taking the gold bars and not doing anything with it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to look at, but Jesus is the one telling them, you left. It has to be the truth. And then going further, I was like, well, what about first? Obviously, like, there's a lot of loves, but what's the first one? Mm. And for first, the word is protos. And in this one, you know, we can think of first, as, and I think we primarily being kind of like the this, 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 this culture you started out with, we tend to think that first means the one that happened first, and then the second, and then the third, and then the fourth, and a sequential matter of time. And that could be the case for this, but then the other definition that it has for this is first in rank or honor. So, you know, there's a lot of people on campus that I talk to and I talk about love and they're all like, oh, I love my wife or I love my girlfriend and some of them haven't been saved yet. So you could say that their first love in that case might be their wife or their girlfriend. But that doesn't make sense in the context of this scripture. In this case, I feel like it's my first love is the highest love. I may have met Jesus after I met my wife in their case, but he has the highest rank, the highest honor. And this church had let other loves creep into their heart, and Jesus no longer occupied the seat of their love. And then, you know, I was like, okay, love. It was agape love. And if you've ever, like, heard, like, agape, it's, it's, it's the disinterested, benevolence love that God has for you. It's that special kind of love that God teaches to you when you love him and it's 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 a love that gives without expecting anything in return and it's beautiful and this church was given much and yet the love was no longer being returned and you know i i started to like look through this in john 15 10 it says if you keep my commandments you will abide in my love and you look at this church on the outside, it looked like it was abiding by all of the commandments of God, and yet it had missed the greatest commandment in Matthew 23, 37, which was to love your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and then love your neighbor. They were loving their neighbors, but they were no longer loving God with all of that stuff, and they had gone from a love of God to a love of man, back to Matthew 23, 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. And, you know, how did they outwardly keep the commandments and lose, lose the love? The love of men had creeped in. And, you know, that was me. Mm. Like, I was more concerned with what people thought about me than what God cared about for me. And you just, you just look through all of this and it, it just starts to break your heart. 
that God's heart was broken. And then the next one I looked at was fallen. Um, you have fallen away from your first love. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen mm. and then repent. So fallen is to perish or fall. And it's a I'm not going to try and pronounce that one. Just take my word for it. It's there. Uh, it's fall powerless to the ground. It's almost like, you know, like you've, you've had a Caesar or a stroke and you fall into the ground and you have no strength in your body left. You have no authority anymore. And it even adds the sir note, you've also fallen of the divine promise of salvation. And so this was me. Like I was wondering why my small group was so superficial and no fruit was being had. No people were coming to the Lord. It's because I was powerless. I was on the ground. I had fallen. And Jesus has the remedy for that though. He says, repent. So repent is uh, metanoio and it means to change one's mind. Mm. And it's also got a verse, uh, a word further up. I didn't write it down, but it says to remember. And so I started to ask God, help me to remember my first love. Help me to remember where I was, what was happening during that season of my life when I had just fallen in love with you, Jesus. And he started to, he started to remind me of the zeal that I had for reading the Bible, the joy I had of having that weight on my shoulders lifted off of having real friends for the first time ever of mm. getting to speak about him and not being afraid. And I, I changed my mind. I started to realize that a lot of the things that I'd been wasting my time on in the light of God in eternity didn't have any value. You know, like what's, what's going to cost me? Well, yes, it's going to cost me, but what do I have to gain? Everything. And, you know, I think the crazy thing is that there's a lot of people in the world, myself included, that think that they're going to be able to gain everything inside of the world. And get God. Yeah, and get God at the same time. And here you see, like, you can't have both. It's, 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 a, it's a refining fire. And that's what God put me through was a refining fire where I had one thing after another pointed out by God and the Holy Spirit. And said, are you going to trust me with this? And if you say no, then all progress in your life is going to stop. Because you've, you've rejected me. But if you say yes, you're going to get closer to me than you ever have before. And it, it finally reached its point where I was like, yes, Lord Jesus, anything for you. Everything for you, Jesus. Um, I was reading E. Stanley Jones, I think, or... Or is it Borum? One of the two. And he said, I have learned that Jesus is everything. I think it was Borum. It sounds like Borum's writing. I have learned that Jesus is everything. And that means that if somebody takes everything from me, I still have everything. Because somebody can come and take my car, take my money, even take my life. And yet I'll still have Jesus. Mm. And that's everything. And I minister to a lot of students on campus. I don't have everything in the physical, but they have Jesus Christ and they have everything like the Kai Alphans. Like you look at the ones that are on fire for God and it, it makes you want that. And you're like, it doesn't matter how much money I have or um, how much talent I have or how cool my car is. And I think you've seen this before because you've got a pretty cool car. Um, when I hang out with them, they make me feel like I'm lacking. 
yeah. you know, you're just like, yeah. I have all of these cool, crazy things. And yet here they are. And a lot of them are dirt poor. A lot of them, you know, kind of get made fun of for what they do on campus. And yet I want to be around them more than I want all mm. of this other stuff. Like they've got something that's real and I don't want that. Cause yeah. And I think that's the fledgling thought of what they have is valuable and it's more valuable than what I have. It's the idea of, uh, a man that has everything and has God has the same thing as the man that has God and has nothing. I would argue that the guy that has God and has nothing is more. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, like if you, not necessarily, like if you actually have a genuine relationship mm. with God, it doesn't matter Yeah. anything else because it's like adding a hundred to infinity. Yeah. It's like, you're not really getting any closer. And this is why I was, I was, I'm glad you brought that up. It's like a great, it's a great topic. It's, it's a great thing. And a lot of Christians, a lot of us, me included have been, um, we, we get so caught up with what is on the outside, even like with the Instagram Christianity and all of these things. And, and we, we, it's, it's, it's a, it's a Trojan horse in a sense. And, and it's something that we need to be, aware of and it's like i was talking to our true about yeah. this because we've been getting close and hanging out and um i come from like a middle class background mm-hmm. and um god has like even the studio we 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 sit in right now god has blessed it yeah. like i didn't buy like most of the most expensive stuff in here i didn't buy like the lord granted it through sponsorships yeah. and different deals and just there's a lot that goes into it. The ability for me to think a certain way. And like, you know, we, we kind of look over those things, Mm -hmm. but regardless, God has blessed me with material things that I have been able to use. And our true and I were talking about that. And it's like, I was driving in, in the Jeep and I was, I was down. I was like, man, you know, like everybody, even if you're Christian or not, you want to have, you know, you'd want to drive a cool car. You'd mm-hmm. want to have a, you know, a nice place to live. Or these are like wants, and they're not necessarily bad. Yeah. But what you realize is they don't actually make you happy at all. Mm-hmm. They don't add anything of value. And actually, like you were saying, they can get in the way of what truly matters. Because now you're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, <laughs> like literally just to be vulnerable, like. Fuck, why don't I have a girlfriend? Like I drive a cool Jeep, you know, like, or like I am really buff. Like why would someone not want to date me? You start to define yourself by things that are a hundred percent perishable. And that's when you get into some dangerous stuff. And, uh, but we really have to get it in our head that any of these things that we want that are material, they're not going to make us happy. And you hear it all the time, but for some reason, you somehow, or we all do, somehow believe, oh yeah, but that's just that's yeah. just because you have. Or because you don't have enough. Saying. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so crazy that um, we have such a problem with like depression and crazy like thoughts and like just wild behavior of people that are just so unsatisfied with their lives. And they think that they can have more and that'll fix it. Mm. And my question to them is, why would something that causes all of the problems suddenly cure all the problems? Mm. It's it's like, okay, I'm <laughs> taking this drug that causes <laughs> cancer, okay? 
And obviously, the only way to cure the cancer is to take more of the cancer-causing drug. <laughs> right. It just doesn't make any sense. Man, because we don't know what people experience. Yeah. We, we really don't. Like, and, and unless we get connected with the divine and, and we see people the way God see them, because then we know, mm. man, you, like, yeah. I, I can see it. You're miserable. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that happened with me is that once that first love was restored— I was able to do the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And I was able to do it with such zeal and gusto that it was like I was changed in my ministry because yeah. I loved the people. Because it doesn't say it doesn't yeah. say treat your neighbor, right? Yeah. It says love your neighbor. That's yeah. not it. That is not merely an action. Mm-hmm. And we like to think, oh, well, like mm-hmm. as long as I'm, you know, say, you know, if we're using physical next door neighbors, like. Hey, how's it going? All right, see you later. You know, we take that, these little actions, as the love. Yeah. And it's like, we're, we're we've, our minds, we, like, mm. Eli has said this best. Propaganda has ruined us. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have been convinced by, like, dude, we grew up in it. How, how could we not? This entrepreneurship, uh, consumer economy based culture, that thinks about things in opportunity cost and in uh in checks and balances, you know? Yeah. Hang on. So I've got a small group guy texting me. Cool, uh, yeah. We we have to wrap up soon, right? Yeah, like he's he's like actually cool. like, Hey, I'm at the small group, but where's You're everybody not there. at? <laughs> but I think it's awesome that we get to do this. Yeah. You know? Um you know, it's it's just the most wonderful thing. Uh because First love doesn't stop at just where it's at. The goal is to grow it, to keep going, mm. you know, and, and you can get in this mindset of, okay, now what? And that is every single day. Now that you have, you have been reminded of that first love. And this is what God's been doing with me mm. is you got to jealously guard it. Um, this is what it means to fear the Lord is it's like, I am so close to the Lord right now. I love the fact that as I walk around, I hear him speak, his spirit speak to me. I love the fact that I can just walk onto a campus and God will give me a word. Like he gave, like we spent time on campus and on the bus, I'm like, God, give me a word for today. And he gives me the word grief. And I'm like, what does that mean? And I look up and I see a cores, uh, a member of the core walking by and I go, oh my, it's silver taps today. And I'm wow. instantly reminded that a member of the court just committed suicide a few weeks ago. And my heart broke for him. And you know what else happened? I met a member of the court that was in his unit, mm. and in unit D8. And I'm praying for you guys. And more than that, I met another guy in the court who was a, a Christian, but he was like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you have to go into the core and change it from the inside out. But you can only do that if Christ goes into you and changes you from the inside out. And then later on, I met another man who wasn't in the core, and yet two weeks before that, he had lost one of his childhood friends to corona. Mm. And every single one of them, Christ gave me a word for them. And I'm like, I'm not interested in it for the power, and I'm not interested in it for the ability to speak words that make people feel good. I don't want to risk losing a close relationship with Christ that gives me the ability to do his will for people. And... It says in the Bible that perfect love casts out all fear. And Matt Carpenter is incredible because he did this incredible talk on it um, about a compass. 
And the compass, the needle will always point north unless somebody takes a magnet and puts it closer to it. Now, Bailey, what's a stronger magnet, the earth or this little bitty refrigerator magnet? Yeah, the earth, yeah. So why is it that the refrigerator magnet has such an impact on the compass? Uh, you know, it's and it's because it's, it's close. It's closer. It's been taken and it's been put next to that compass needle oh. and moved around. And that needle will now point at whatever is closer. Well, the great love north is God and Jesus. But what happens is we can get little bitty things too close to the compass and we start looking at them and then these little things start to move around and our sight is shifted to that. And the crazy thing is that, you know, whenever a compass points to north, where does the bottom part of the compass point? South. Yeah. And so if love is north, then fear is going to be south Mm. as the opposite of love. So if you perfectly love God, then your perfect fear will be fear of God, losing that love with God. Hmm. So what happens if the compass needle points somewhere else? Let's say that your greatest love is money. Hypothetically speaking, what would your greatest fear be? To lose it. Yeah. What if your greatest love was your family? What would your greatest fear probably be? To lose your family. Yeah. And, and loving your family is a good thing. I'm not saying that it's bad. But anything that can come before Christ will create a fear in your heart that can cripple you from doing what he wants in your life. And that was me is I I loved certain things that were small and really insignificant looking back and they were tiny and they were messing with my needle. Wow. And looking back at it now, it was almost like an irrational fear. Like, God, I don't want to let go of this thing. And I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get mocked by all my friends. (laughs) It, it wasn't anything bad. It was just something stupid. Pokemon. No, You're actually, it was. It was actually. Oh, Pokemon. Oh my God. No, 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna Dude, explain myself a bit so I don't get roasted. You know what's hardcore. funny though? Like <laughs> it's not even because I know you. When you were telling that story, I saw it, I saw Pokemon cards. Mm. Okay, those were Aiden's. They weren't mine. No, 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 no. I didn't, no, I'm not yeah. talking about Aiden's Pokemon cards. Like I, when you're telling this story, the, at first I was like, it's Pokemon. Like Pokemon mm. had. I just, I don't know why. Like, yeah. that's the Lord, right? Yeah, and it is. And, it, and the thing was, it was my safety blanket. Um, growing up, like I said, no friends at all. And so I had a lot of free time. So I spent all my free time in my room playing video games. Yeah. And Pokemon was the number one thing. And I haven't even really played it at all. Like, uh, once I got into the ministry, it was like, all right, it's kind of like just going to rest on a shelf kind of thing. But it was always there. And it was always a reminder, mm-hmm. I guess. And like a new game would come out and I would sink some time into it. And then it's just like, all right, back to work. But God asked for it. You know, he asked specifically, like, are you going to give this up? And I had a bunch of the older games. Some of these games are pretty valuable now. And I was like, I don't want to really give it up, God. Like, I'll put it up, but I won't give it up. Right. And God was like, "Eh, that's not what I want. And I was like, I'll file it away, but I'm not going to let you heal me. from." And I started seeing like progress that the lord had been making in my life kind of just halt Hmm. and i was like eventually it came to the point where i'm like okay can i keep being disobedient to the god that saved me resurrected (laughs) my life that led me out of the wilderness and and has been empowering me to do all this ministry over something as stupid as pokemon (laughs) and i'm just like all right time for the safety blanket to go bye-bye it's it's time for another part of my life to grow up you know 
And I think that's what maturity is. And especially coming into maturity and with your love with the Lord is just like you start prioritizing really whatever it takes um, to continue that to love, yeah. you know? And I've, I've told a couple of guys on campus that there's some people that I met that were probably some of the most irresponsible and immature people I've ever known. And somehow by the grace of God, they got married and had a kid and the responsibility of the kid grew them faster than I had ever seen anything else. And that's what it is, is that Christ will only be able to trust you with a certain amount of responsibility. And and I would argue maybe in proportion to the amount of love you've shown for him in his kingdom. And you're going to be very limited in your level of responsibility. Like if you want to grow in responsibility and you're constantly thinking like, Oh, why am I being overlooked? Why am I, um, why am I not getting all of this? Like kind of like, leadership roles if you're thinking that i would argue you might have more love for the the leadership and less love for christ and it's just a wonderful thing to be able to serve jesus just where i'm at it is the greatest thing to be able to serve jesus where i'm at and even if i don't have all of the responsibility and all the eyes of the world on me i have a renewed love with jesus christ and that's more than enough for me contentment peace Mm -hmm. real genuine peace oh yeah because god's a good father he's not just gonna you know it's like loving him is not just about like well it's it's not just about what we can do for him Mm -hmm. but it's about who we are with him yeah and and who he is is very generous oh yeah and and very loving and, and he wants us to have peace and actually, like, the closer we get to him, the it's kind of impossible if we get real close to to, to not give up the things that are holding us away from mm. peace. Dude, Michael, you are a man of God, man. I love you. And I love the Lord, man. I just, like, throughout yeah. this whole thing, I'm like, gosh, I just, God's been doing a lot in my heart lately, just little things and, and big things. And, and I was just so thankful just to be sitting mm-hmm. here listening and talking and and the lord is good and he's moving he's he really is moving mm. do do you think we need to do a little wrap up or or uh do you think it's kind of self said <laughs> you, to you yeah give us a little wrap up give us a little uh give us a little breakdown of what what we just talked about yeah so i think um kind of what we see throughout all of this is we are broken, we need God, and we are squandering the investment that God has placed within us. We are squandering the gifts, the passions, the talents, everything that God has given us on this earth. Even though it is very fleeting, this earth, we are squandering it. And because of that, we are missing out on what God has for us. Hmm. And so um, what we need to do is how, how do we... Uh, not squander it how do we um, use the investment wisely it's through understanding that God is the first love it's through having him as our compass as Mm -hmm. opposed to all the other things that can distract us and draw our focus away from it and caring about what he cares about definitely like genuinely caring about what he cares about right and like and that's what I get from the word study is like like people are like, bro, but you don't need to like have knowledge to know mm. God. That's true. You don't have to have knowledge to to know God, but God desires for us to have knowledge. Yeah. 
and he cared about the particulars of the words he used mm. so that it would convey a specific meaning. So someone like us would search the understandings of this particular meaning for us to know more about what God cares about and then align our hearts with that. And I think that that's it. Mm-hmm. That's what's cool. We need to care about what God cares about. And we get to know that God cares about things to be, to be able yeah. to position our heart for that. It's like, oh man, what does God care more about, souls or money? Well, I'll never know unless I read the Bible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for spending this time with me. You guys are great friends. And um, thank you guys, everybody that's listening and, and watching right now. Caleb sent me some things to say. Uh, we're going to have a newsletter come out every Sunday uh, there's going to be a biblical word of the day on there, so you can sign up for that at Creative. Of the week. Of the week, yes, <laughs> never mind. Nice. Uh, we were going to do a biblical word of the day on the podcast, but now it's going to the newsletters. So if you want that, we're going to basically be doing word studies. It's a funny episode. Mm, I didn't even think of that to, to bring this up, but we're literally going to be putting word studies into emails, uh, uh, into our newsletter, and then we're going to have some extra content on there, and then I will actually be doing an audio-only recap that's only within that newsletter to kind of recap the week, what it went over. So if you miss anything, you can just check out that recap and you can see if you want to go check out those episodes or those blog posts or anything like that later on. So that's at creativecurious.com and that link will be in the description. But overall, um, thank you guys for watching and I hope and pray that um, this reaches someone. So maybe I'll just pray us out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, coming to us today. And and thank you for making Michael uh, a unique person with unique experiences. And thank you for being diligent in sculpting his heart and giving him conviction to to be able to speak today in such a powerful way, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And I pray that you anoint this podcast and use it to affect someone's life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next time. And we won't be meeting on uh, Friday. Friday. Yeah, so no, no episode Friday. Yes. But we will be back soon, Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> see you guys later.